to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. As Paul continues to defend his boldness and confidence in his ministry, even in the midst of trials and sufferings and conflict, Paul is bold and confident. And we read the last few weeks, and we've come to understand that his boldness and confidence was not in himself, was not in his abilities and talents. So to be honest, if, if we were to look at him and put him up, he had all the abilities and talents that any great leader would want, and any great communicator. But his confidence was not in himself and in his talent, his ethnicity, his tribe, but his confidence and boldness was in the ministry of the Spirit, his role as a minister of the new covenant, and as a recipient of a new heart, what we call regeneration, being born again. He realized that that was greater than anything else. Now that the Corinthians understand the source of Paul's boldness and confidence, he's now moves to the question of how do we harmonize the never-ending threat of death and suffering and trials facing Paul with the ministry of the Spirit? How do you harmonize that? For you and I, if we think there's great power, then there ought to be all these great blessings. There should be no thing that he can't tackle, but yet They're looking at his life and saying, how do we harmonize this? And we always do that, don't we? We look at churches and pastors, leaders, and say, well, if things are going well, then they must be good men of God. And if they're not, then we must then question their legitimacy. And that's what was happening here in the Corinthians. Even though Paul was their spiritual father, they're kind of questioning his legitimacy, or at least there was a a sect in that church that was creating a rebellious attitude towards Paul. Look at him. Look at his life. Look at the sufferings. Look at the imprisonments. Can God's power really be on someone who suffers so much? This is what the Corinthians are struggling with. And Paul continues to answer them in the passage we're going to look at this week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Father, open up our hearts to receive what you have. Lord, I pray that you would bless the the prayer and the work in, in preparing the message, and also for those I pray that were praying during this week and reading the passage with me. And Lord, I pray now that you would do work. I pray that it would find fertile soil. And Lord, I pray that you would fill up what's ever lacking in either my ability or presentation, and also in the hearts of those who hear that your work may be done and that you may be glorified. We pray this. Amen. A a Precious Treasure in Jars of Clay is the title of the message. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to again give you three things that I think is important for us to understand. And the first thing we're going to see is in verses 7 through 12, as we look at, for those of you who like to take notes, is Paul's weakness demonstrates the power of God. When they say, how can we harmonize your weaknesses, your imprisonments, your sufferings with that of the ministry of the Spirit, Paul says, well, first, let me share with you that my weakness demonstrates the power of God. Look at verse 7 
of chapter 4 of the second book of Corinthians. He says, but we, Paul speaking, says, has this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be made manifest or be made known in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So let's tackle that. As Paul says, my weakness demonstrates not the illegitimacy of of my ministry, but it actually demonstrates that the power of God is on me. And he gives you a word picture here as we go. The first thing is we look at the treasure, the treasure. We have this treasure. What's that treasure? Well, the treasure is the ministry of the Spirit. It's the new covenant. It's the new heart. It's being able to be born again, regenerated, where Jeremiah and Ezekiel gives the promise that God one day would take our stony hearts and replace it with a heart of flesh, one in which he'll write his name on it, and he says, you, I will be your God and you will be my people. That has come to be placed in, in, in the ministry of the Spirit. That's what Jesus came to set forth. And so that treasure is the ministry of the Spirit. And I pray that you see it as a treasure. When we talk about the treasure, the hidden treasure, that's what Jesus wants us to go for. Going for what God has given us. That's the treasure. And he says here we have this treasure in jars of clay. And so he kind of gives us an image. Now when you think of jars of clay, that was the, 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 the method that they made claw, uh, uh, j, uh, jars in those days. The jars could be anything from drinking jugs to uh, ways in which they would hold up food. In some cases, it was the way that they preserved papers and things of that and that they would put it in a jar and seal it. That's how we found many of the Dead Sea Scrolls is they were in clay jars. Now, the thing with clay jars is they were not the greatest jars there. If the, in the Roman and the Greek culture, they would make jars and, and vases out of other types of material but clays of jars or jars of clay were kind of just for simple folk. You know, you and I. You know, there's just the kind that we would have. And some of them may be very nice, but some of them may be misshapen, some of them is misformed. I don't know, has anyone ever here has ever done any pottery, taken any pottery classes? Is that as hard as it looks? I mean, yeah, I just, the, the, the closest I've ever come to, to jars of clay or making jars is watching the movie Ghost. That's about it as, as I go to, which probably wasn't a great imagery to bring up in church, but let's go on from there. But jars of clay, and Paul says, my body is like a jar of clay. And when that brings it up, we think of fragile. He says, my body is fragile. It's inferior. It's not the greatest tool available for its use. I mean, there's greater ways of putting your food and more sanitary. But it's, just, it's doable. It's, it's, it's inferior, but it's also expendable. For jars of clay, we're very, very cheap. Many people can make them maybe themselves and just go into the mud and then, you know, just take straw and make some type of clay jar. In other words, he's saying God has given us the ministry of the Spirit in things, in bodies that are fragile, inferior, and expendable. 
This word picture reflects what he had told them in his first letter in 1 Corinthians verse 1, verses 26. You may recall this. If you want to go back real quickly, you might be able to catch up. For he says, for consider your calling as he speaks to them. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were uh, of noble birth. But in verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Paul is saying, God has given us this wonderful treasure. And for you and I, if we had a wonderful treasure, we are going to put it in a place that is strong, that is defendable, and something that would protect our valuables, right? But God doesn't do it that way. Instead of putting it in the greatest of all receptacles, he puts it and gives it to man. And you think, why didn't he just give it to angels? Why isn't it that angels aren't the ones who come and stand each week and preach? Why did I not send angels who are powerful, who can fight the demons themselves? And send them as missionaries. Surely just as Mary heard and listened to the, the angel and the shepherds. Why does God not use them? But God in his wisdom chooses to use fragile, inferior, and sometimes expendable men and women. And that's God's wisdom. And Paul says, listen, he's given us in this way. But this weakness demonstrates the power of God. You see, this definitely paints a different picture than many Christians have today of what leaders and godly men and women ought to look like. Paul is not an attractive endorsement for the advantages of becoming a Christian. If you were going to say, you know what, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to make every day like a Friday? If you want to make everything perfect? You would probably put up someone that was tall and strong, plenty of hair, a great smile. What? I, I don't get the joke. But what he's saying here is that's not what God gives. That's what we want in our leaders, right? And our presidents and our governors. That's what we want. You know, is we want people who, who exude power, people who you want to follow. But God, Paul would not be that type of person. You see, Paul, though, had a right understanding of who he was. I think that's many times what we're missing today. He saw his life and ministry the way God did. You see, men look at Paul and said this. He said, they, they say, uh, Paul, excuse me, bodily presence is weak. If you were to look at him, his eyes, many thought, was very wide and very runny. He had eye problems. And after all the beatings that he had taken and all the imprisonments, and all the things he had, his body was probably kind of bent over. He walked everywhere that he went. He was not a rich man by any, any standards. He worked his way through his ministry. They say his bodily presence is weak. There is nothing as you look at him that you would say, man, I want to follow him. And even his speech, his rhetoric, the way that he stood and spoke to one said, it's of no account. He is not one of those orators that just enthrall you and you just sit there and listen to them. See, that's how we view people today. Even in our politics, many of us sometimes, we vote on those who, whose presence is strong and whose speech just enthralls us 
and thrills us. And when Paul looks at himself, he says, yes, my, pro- my bodily presence is weak. And my speech is kind of a no account. There's nothing when you listen to me that's going to draw you to me, so to speak. But listen to what God says a little bit later in that book. But God looks at Paul and says, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul viewed himself the way that God viewed himself. He's nothing to look at. He's no powerful presence. Paul here realizes that there's an exchange happening here. And Paul says, I'm ready to exchange my arrogance and my pride for humility and meekness. How many of us would say that's a good change? Exchange. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say, God, you know what? I'll take humility and meekness, which may lead to persecution and may lead me to be maligned, but, and, and I'll give you all my pride and arrogance. And from what we know of Paul, especially in the early chapters of Acts and his ministry, he was a very arrogant and proud man. We see that a little bit as he goes to, to list his credentials. He says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrew, of the tribe Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says, I have much to be proud about. But yet he says, I count that now as lost. What's, what's gave me proud in my arrogance, he says, as he went and he persecuted the church. He says, now I've exchanged it for humility and meekness. Why? Because my weakness demonstrates not my power, but the power of God. And then he goes to list the hardships in 8 and 9. And look at that. He says, I'm afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. Now you and I hearing that would say, well, man, what a man of great strength. How many of us in times in our lives have read the scripture or heard messages like this or thought, boy, I wish I could have the faith and strength of an Apostle Paul. Boy, I wish I could have the boldness of Peter as he stood before the council and said, I seek to please God, not man. Don't we want that type of thing? We desire that. Or maybe the leadership of James as he led the early church through so much difficulty and then eventually persecution. But Paul doesn't list these hardships to show his toughness and how strong he is. But he lists it to show God's faithfulness in sustaining and preserving him. He says, For we have this treasure treasure in earthen vessels or in clay jars, because we are so fragile, because we are so inferior, because our bodies are so expendable, that even in the midst of those, it doesn't show that I'm stronger and physically capable of enduring this. It shows that even though I am so fragile, as the Bible says, our bodies are just like dust, it says that God still perseveres or preserves me, excuse me, in this human form. So as you go through life, many of you have had many conflicts and trials, sufferings, probably some that I probably could not even comprehend. But do you point and say, boy, what a great character, how strong he is? Or do you point, no, God is faithful. As Job said, without God, I would be lost. 
You see, the Corinthians fail to see God's power in Paul's life. They look at him and see someone who is weak and beaten and always has the sentence of death over him. His sufferings to them do not show the absence, though, or excuse me, his sufferings, though, do not show the absence of God's power. And this is important. I want you to catch this. His sufferings do not show the absence of God's power but rather his survival shows the power of God. Do you get the difference? His sufferings don't say God has left him and forsaken him. No, the very fact that he survived all of these things shows that God says he is something to me. I will be faithful and preserve him. You see, Paul's sufferings continue to reveal God's saving activity as he carries around Christ's death And in it, it displays it for all to see. So as Paul is living and faithful to God in his ministry, and people look at his life and see the beatings and the imprisonments and all the conflicts and everything that he has to endure to share the gospel, it doesn't point to his toughness. It doesn't point to his character. It points to the fact that look at the God who loves Paul so much and preserves him through all of those difficulties. His obedience to suffering, very much like Jesus, benefits those to whom he ministers to. His suffering annoys and embarrasses the Corinthians. However, it glorifies God. That's why Paul could say, my sufferings, my conflict, my weakness demonstrates the power of God. The second point that Paul wants them to understand is in verses 13 and 15 where Paul trusted God that his sufferings and that his weakness had a purpose. He says in verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul trusted that even as his body was broken, even though he was afflicted in every way, even though he was crushed and perplexed, he realized that all of that had a purpose. And to show us that Paul says, I, be, or I have the same spirit of faith. Who's the same spirit of faith? Well, we go back to the scripture that, that Matt read earlier. Paul quotes from Psalms 116. And he contends that he has the same spirit of faith as that psalmist. And you may be calm in Psalm 116. You might remember this from the psalmist, where he says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. (coughs) The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol or the grave laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguished. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver 
my soul. The psalmist here was undergoing some difficult trials. It seems like there was someone after his life seeking to kill him, but yet as you read the psalm, each and every time he says, I cry out to the Lord for help. And Paul says, the same spirit of faith for that man is the one that I claim. He says, I believed and so I spoke. And that's what the psalmist said. I believed in the Lord and I spoke. Paul had already spoken earlier to the purpose of suffering. Turn, if you would, in 2 Corinthians back to chapter 1. I want to bring into memory that Paul had already spoken to the purpose of suffering earlier in chapter 1. Look at verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in, any affliction, uh, who comforts us in our inflection, affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who, who are in the affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. He's already seen this. We've looked at this several, uh, probably a month or so ago, that Paul recognizes that his sufferings was to show that as you suffer, God will bring comfort. If God comforts him, God will comfort you. In the same way, the psalmist says, listen, here's what's going on in my life, but I trust in God. And Paul says, look at, I see the past. I see God's word. He would know this psalm. This is one of the psalms that they would sing as the people, the children of Israel, would make their way to the temple each year for the sacrifices. And what are they saying? Even though we as a people are broken and many times dispersed, we trust in our God. And Paul here trusted that God would raise him up and give him strength, even in his weakness. Sometimes I think, what is it that kept Paul going? I can imagine after the first time he was whipped with 39 lashes, I think I would have gotten my lesson. But yet Paul says that was not the only time. Many times he was stoned, he was whipped with canes, he was shipwrecked in cold and, and, and in peril, he says, of robbers and, and thieves. He says, not only that, but my own countrymen seek my life. But yet he continues. So unlike the church and many Christians today, who get a little bit of ridicule, who get a little bit of discomfort, and they're ready to throw up their hands and say, oh, well, that's enough. The Lord won't give me more than I can handle, and this is way too much, so I need to stop. But Paul says, I believe, and I spoke. See, Paul understood that the purpose of God's grace during those trying times would be, would be to bring more thanksgiving to God. In other words, when we are faithful, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of trials, it says that God's grace comes and strengthens us for that, and God's purpose is magnified, in which he glorifies, which people say, look at God helped him see it through, be thanksgiving, be to God. For he says, for it is all, yours, for, it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul trusted that God, or Paul trusted God 
that his sufferings had a purpose. The third point that we're going to see in this passage is that Paul's motivation in serving was in the hope of a final renewal. And we see that in the last three verses, 16 through 18. Paul says, so we do not lose heart, recognizing that my weakness demonstrates the power of God, understanding that God's suffering has a purpose. We do not lose heart. We saw last week that he started this portion of Scripture with the same phrase. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, though the fragile and expendable body, this, this, this treasure, this, uh, this clay uh, jar is, 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 is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We do not lose heart because Paul's motivation in continuing, the thing that helped him face each and every one of those trials and sufferings was the hope of a final renewal. He knew that his outside was wasting away to the point that people say his presence is weak. Look at him. It's contemptible. I can't even watch him and look at him. Paul recognized, you know, my outer way is, my outer, my flesh, it's fallen away. <coughs> but God is faithful. He renews my spirit day in and day out. It's God strengthening me in the spirit. I think it's interesting what he says in verse 17. For in his, own, in his own here testimony, he's saying this light, momentary affliction. I would say anything about Paul's suffering and affliction was anything but light. I think this is really some heavy stuff. This is stuff that would make you and I cringe. This is stuff that you and I would not even be able to watch happen to someone else, I pray. This is something that we would not want to our worst enemy, but yet, Paul says, it's light. It doesn't really matter. It's not the worst that can help happen to me. As he remembers maybe Jesus' words, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill both body and soul. Paul says, this is nothing. Go ahead and do your worst. God will give me the strength to face it. It doesn't matter if I may be doubled over. It may not, be, may, uh, may not matter if I'm having to be carried from house to house. He's renewing my spirit day by day. And even this momentary affliction is just for this moment. It's not for eternity. He had a proper view here. He had his eyes set on the proper things. His view was not skewed about himself personally. He saw it's not the things of the world that matter, but his heavenly home. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn real quickly to Colossians chapter 3. Paul will write about this type of hope to the church of Colossae. His motivation was in, ser in serving was the hope of a final renewal. He had his mind set on the right things. I can imagine as he was feeling the lashes as he was feeling the pain, maybe when he is adrift, that his eyes would close, he would recall the words of, 
of, of the gospel, recall the words of Christ, recall the words found in Scripture, and he would put his mind in a different place. For he says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians, If you then have been raised with Christ, if you've been regenerated, if you've been born again, if you're a recipient of the ministry of the Spirit, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen? Paul realized, do your worst, for I have something greater than anything this world can offer. And it's found in the arms of a loving father. It's found in the salvation of one who came for me. He says, that's what I look forward to. The problem that the Corinthians had is they were too earthly-minded. Their mind was in the Corinthian culture. We need to make what we can. It's all about status and power. It was all about political and social uh, uh, moving up. They could not understand Paul. He was an enigma to them. Probably like you and I. What would you think if your children were to come to you? And say, listen, we just thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for spending all you did to help us through life and through school and everything. But we are now leaving the country and we're going to go to a country that does not know the gospel. What would your thought be as a parent? What would your thought be if it was a good friend of yours? You might be thinking, no, wait, wait, wait a second. What are you doing? Have you thought this through? Do you not realize what this may cost you? Why don't we think about it and pray about this? We may have many of those excuses. We may even try to do that. But who's the one that has their minds on the right things? The Bible says the sufferings of this world are light and momentary. For there's something much greater. Let me ask you, does that motivate you? Where is your mind at? Do you realize that your life is hidden with Christ and nothing and nobody can snatch it away from Him? He's our motivation. We need to get our mind out of the things of the world and put it to the things of Christ. Paul's hope of renewal empowered his day-to-day obedience. And that's so important. Many times I think, what is it that keeps me serving God? Well, we think about reading the scripture, we think about you know, devotions, we think about being with other Christians. For Paul, it was the hope of knowing that one day he was going to spend eternity. And he says, I can get through this one more day because I'm one more day closer to seeing Jesus. Is that your motivation? Is that your motivation for obedience? And when I say hope, I'm not, thinking, not speaking up here of wishful thinking. Paul was not wishfully thinking that he might be in heaven, but it was a bold confidence. That's the hope that we find in Scripture. He kept God's promises close to his heart. Paul realized that in his weakness, he demonstrated the power of God. He understood that his sufferings had a purpose, a greater purpose than just keeping him in line. And he understood that his motivation in serving was not the joy and the praises of man, but in the renewal that Christ gave him day to day that pointed to a greater reality. 
in many ways, Paul was preparing the Corinthians for some upcoming persecution. You see, at this time, the Christian life was not too bad. There might have been some problems if you were a Jew, but for the most part, at this time, the Romans are not doing much to them. They're living their life, and there's not much change going on. But very soon, not years from Paul writing this letter, there was going to be a persecution by Nero and the further and, and, and following uh, Caesars that would just shake the Christian to the core. We're talking uh, types of suffering that Paul had not endured. And in many ways, Paul is saying, live the life that I live. Because that's what living the Christian life is. Christian life is not always warm and fuzzy. Many times you and I have to realize that God does not heal. God does not always provide deliverance, at least not in the ways that you and I anticipate. I think about it sometimes. If Paul had all these great spiritual gifts, why did he not just heal himself, right? Why didn't he just fix his eyes? Why did he tell Timothy, hey, drink some wine for your for your stomach, why didn't you just say, hey, be healed, here's, here's a prayer rag, put it on your stomach. Bless some wine and send it to him and say, drink it. Why did they say, take him, uh, if any of you are, are sick, go before the elders. Why didn't you just go to the healing person? Because many times you and I think, God is going to make my life a better roses, but that's not Christianity. We've been sold a, 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 a what's the word now, the phrase, you know, a bill of goods. Again, I was just doing some research for this, and again, I'm reminded of one book, Make Every Day Like Friday or something like that. You ought to experience every day. Well, thank God it's Friday, taking that type of thought. Well, thank God it's Monday. Thank God it's Tuesday. And maybe we ought to think that way, but the joy that they were pointing to was not in the fact that there's we that were created and put in weakness and that we're going to suffer, and the only main motivation and strength that we have many times in life is not healing, is not having everything good, it's not having all the money in the world, but many times the only thing that will get you through life is the fact that one day it is all going to be made new. Amen? That's the hope of the Christian. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to remind you of the words of Christ. As Paul says, my weakness demonstrates the power of God. I recognize my sufferings have a purpose, and my motivation is not the uplifting of my ministry, but the fact that God will get me through the day, that it points to the final coming of him. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus had this to say to the church, to his disciples. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul here is preparing the Corinthians. He says, you're annoyed and embarrassed of how my ministry has progressed. It's included suffering. It's included conflict. My life is difficult. 
But he says all Christians one day will be. Let me ask, how prepared are you? Do you recognize that the weakness that you have today demonstrates God's power? So many times, maybe our prayer should not be, Lord, deliver me from this sickness, or Lord, deliver this from me, or Lord, give me a great income. Maybe our prayer is, Lord, help me in my weakness to glorify you. May others not see how great I am, but may it point to them. And may I glory and rejoice in that weakness. May our our prayer be, Lord, take this body and break it, tear it up for you. For in the end, what do I take into heaven? But only those the works that God has prepared. Maybe our thoughts, instead of being, oh Lord, take away this suffering, it may be, Lord, may this suffering glorify you. And instead of saying, oh me and oh my, can you see what type of life I have? It's, so tr- it's such a struggle. It's so, I don't know why God is so angry with me. Maybe it's time to say, you know what? I'm glad God has brought this suffering because I realize he's not wasting it. He's using it for the purpose. And God sustains me day by day. The fact that our motivation in serving is not to be for our own ministry. It's not for our own lifting. It's not for ego. The thing that motivates me and the thing that gets me by day by day is that every time that God gives me strength to face today's battles, Every time I look to God and He's faithful to me, it points to the reality that one day this world will be made new. That's our hope. That's our confidence. And that's the way that we ought to walk. May we take the words of Paul today. I pray the Holy Spirit will take them and print them on your heart. And I pray that God will draw you out this morning and that you too will be like Paul. As Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Father, help us to do so. Lord, help us not to be complainers. Lord, help us not to be people who are so wrapped up in our lives, Lord, that we never think about eternity. Lord, I pray that in our weakness that you would be strong. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the purpose in our sufferings. Help us to embrace them as James tells us. Lord, help us to see that they glorify you and may we do so. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us as we train our hearts and mind to set our affections not on the things here of earth, but on the things, Lord, above. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.